We are back, back in LA, back in the city of angels. Courtney Fallon, Tanya Ray Fox. This is Fox and Fallon in episode 16, jam packed with everything NBA. I feel like this is literally a buffet of NBA questions, concerns. Of course, the NBA free agency deadline is fast approaching this Sunday. And we got a lot of questions. I personally do. Tanya, you do as well. So we decided instead of us figuring this out ourselves and stepping on our toes and biting our tongues because we say something stupid, Tanya decided to bring in one of her very good friends from the USA Today. Yes, we are welcoming on Brian Kalbrowski, who uh, runs the NBA Wire at USA Today and writes for Hoops Hype. And he's in New York and he's just like a legit bro. And I'm ready to jam about... NBA, Brian, welcome. I don't know if I would ever describe myself as a legit bro. That's no. kind of a strange introduction for me. I don't, well, I don't think it is because in my eyes, in like you have to remember this is in my lingua. Like, it's not necessarily a legit bro in other people's terms. This is in Tanya Ray Fox classification of friendships. And we found out also Brian happens to be part of the tribe. We both have relatives, Jewish relatives that come from Russia. So, Brian, you are already a part of my family and my heart. Let's get right into this right now. Of course, we have to discuss a little dated, but your opinion. Were the Warriors responsible for Kevin Durant's injury in the postseason? That injury in itself changed the entire landscape of the upcoming NBA free agency. And I have to ask you, because this was on everyone's mind, Afterwards, with the press conference, the GM was crying. Were the Warriors responsible for Kevin Durant's injury, bringing him back too early? No, I don't. I don't think that's really a thing. I don't think that's really fair analysis. Um, that so many people did, you know, put on Bob Myers and the medical staff uh, in Golden State. I mean, KD is a fully grown individual who can make his own decisions, and there's a zero percent chance he would have gone out there if he didn't want to. I think he knew the risks, maybe not quite as extreme as it could have been, but I think he knew the risks. And I think that realistically, there's a very good chance that, um, you know, he, he was the one that made that final decision. I think that they may have pushed him, but I think that, you know, with all of the sensitivity that surrounds Kevin Durant and all of the kind of ways that people second guess him and he second guesses himself, so much of what came, what that decision came down to for him was just the idea of being out there with his teammates and being out there with his guys and, you know, fighting to win another finals MVP, helping his team come back and rally. And I think that, you know, obviously the Warriors wanted him then there too, but I think that was fully mutual. I think that there's no way the Warriors, um, you know, were like, you have to go out there. And he was like, no, I think that he fully intended on playing that game. I think the target date had always been that date. And I think that there was a, uh, Obviously, you know, some second guessing now and we're all kind of playing, I guess at this point, Thursday morning quarterback because it has been a few days, it's been a few days in that metaphor. Um, but also in that same sense, like hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, you know, I think if the Warriors medical staff, you know, which had handled um, you know, obviously Boogie's injury so well and has been, you know, very careful with K uh, with, you know, K D in the past and Steph and Clay through their injuries, I think that, you know, that that you know, the Warriors track record is mostly positive. So I wouldn't put that blame on them. Winning that game without KD was like a shot of tequila, as he said himself after the game. Of course, they lost in the finals. But the bigger question right here is, what city will KD be celebrating with tequila when he signs? Where is he going? Well, I think most of the players that, you know, live in, that, you know, play for the Brooklyn Nets don't actually live in Brooklyn. I know that, you know, Kyrie Irving, for example, was rumored to have just gotten a spot in Jersey City. Um, so most of the players that are looking for high expensive 
uh, properties aren't really doing it here nearby me where I am in Brooklyn. So I think that he will be with the Nets, and I think that uh, he'll probably get a nice property somewhere uh, in these in this general area. Um, but I don't think he'll be my next door neighbor quite yet. Oh wait, I love how you like interpreted that question as like, will will Kevin Durant live next door to you? <laughs> like, yeah, you, will he be my neighbor? Yeah, you but, you, you totally you totally assess that as a real estate agent versus an MBA writer, which I I admire. I um, fully respect that. That's the way to really. That's a you're bridging two very lucrative industries, and I appreciate it. Obviously, Katie's future is really up in the air. I, I think you can confirm this for me, but from everything I can tell, he's not going to touch a basketball court next season, correct? It would be fairly unprecedented if he did. I mean, you know, the typical return time for an Achilles tear is about 12 months, and considering, you know, that he had torn his Achilles um, during the NBA Finals uh, rather than midway through the season, you know, then I'd imagine that it would be about 12 months, you know, until he's able to uh, actually get back on the court. Um, you know, he'll start rehabbing, he'll start practicing, he might be able to kind of, you know, be in that facility, but um, I, I can't imagine that we'll actually see him on an NBA court again next season, yeah, unless by some crazy miracle the team that he plays for makes the NBA finals and he decides to come back for, like, game six, you know, that's about that's about the scenario where I would see it, but even then, I think it would be kind of tough for him after not playing for a full season to just hop into game action during the postseason at all. Especially because he's like seven feet tall and 150 pounds, and it's just the way that their bodies are made up. It's not like it's not like they're NFL players. There's just a different. The recovery has to just be a little bit longer, even though it, it has shortened over time. So that sounds right to me. I mean, moving on, you know, another big question that I've had in the wake of the Anthony Davis trade to the Lakers, which was, you know, obviously the biggest move of the free, of free agency so far, or I guess of the off season so far. Who won that trade? Because uh, Alvin Gentry seems to be pretty happy with what he's done. And he, obviously, they just drafted Zion Williamson, and you know, it, it certainly was an improvement for the Lakers. But if you had to assess who comes out on the better side of things, is it the Lakers or the Pelicans? I feel like you know sometimes when you when you give a, like a trade grade, you know, like when you say both teams really got what they wanted, that'd be like giving an album review a seven, where it's like very a very safe answer. Um, I think that, you know, for what the Pelicans were able to get in their rebuild package, considering that AD had full intentions of leaving anyway and was going to be gone by the end of next season at the very latest, um, you know, the rebuild package that they got, you know, I think you have to give the slight edge to New Orleans. Although my typical rule of thumb is the player that the team that gets the better player is typically the one that wins the trade. I think that when it comes to the draft picks, while the Lakers are mortgaging a lot of their future, um, you know, for the next however many years of the pick protections, et cetera, are owed to New Orleans. I think that if you look at the way the Lakers have built their roster in the past, it's typically not through the draft anyway. And while a team like Cleveland or Orlando, if they would have made us a trade like that to bring in, you know, a big a big name, you know, while also mortgaging so much of their future draft picks, uh, it would have been a lot more problematic. But the Lakers, they still attract so much in free agency that I think that it'll be totally fine that even once LeBron leaves, there's going to be another superstar going to want to come in and take that cap hold uh there's going to be so many players who want to play with anthony davis who is only 26 years old and is entering his prime um and i think that you know considering they also have another clutch uh, sports talent guy with um Taylor horton tucker uh and anthony davis rich paul still gonna have a lot of say um with the lakers organization for years to come too and there are plenty of players in clutch that i think will be swayed to come to los angeles through free agency once they do have money to spend both just not only this year but also in the future as well so i think the pelicans ended up getting the most value for their buck here 
um, considering they turned an expiring asset in a lot of ways to, you know, so many young players worth building around and draft picks. And they're going to have a lot of, you know, uh, darts to throw at the dartboard for years to come um, as they continue to build around Zion Williamson and Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart. Um, and I also think that, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, they could potentially flip Brandon Ingram uh, for another asset, potentially, because I think Brandon Ingram is someone who typically um, would do the best with the ball in his hands, and that might not be the case. He might not be able to play that point forward position in New Orleans, where Lonzo is fairly ball dominant, and so too will Zion Williamson. Uh, so I think that Brandon Ingram might be better for, you know, even a third team involved here where they could get even more assets for it and just keep stretching the value of that dollar. Speaking of Josh Hart, he uh, he left the Lakers with a maybe not a bad taste in his mouth, but certainly not um, any love lost with Rob Palenka, left him out of his goodbye message. Is it does it kind of concern you? I mean, it kind of. I guess my thought process here is that the Lakers front office is still, it's still the shit show that, you know, they had last season minus Magic Johnson and this distraction of that. Do you think getting rid of Magic Johnson is enough to start to trust what they've got going forward, even with Rob Palenka still running the show? Because I know that talent beats everything in the NBA, but there's something, there's been something rotten in in Los Angeles for a while with the Lakers. and, And I'm concerned for my boy LeBron that there's still some mistakes to be made by the people running the show in, in Los Angeles. Yeah, no, Rob Palenka, like, yeah, it's a shit show over there. Like, there's there's no reason to trust, um, you know, what he's doing in the front office. Um, but by any stretch of the word, I mean, I think that, you know, there's a trust is earned and not given, and there's nothing that he's done to to earn the trust of, of, anybody, of anybody over there. I think that... Um, the counterpoint to that that I really kind of hope and pray is true is that a lot of the moves that we made, that the Lakers made, uh, that were smart, forgive me, my 12-year-old self came out there referred to the Lakers as we because I did grow up a Lakers fan. Um, but the uh, I think a lot of the reasons that the Lakers may have made some boneheaded moves may have been the magic decisions and some of the smart ones that were made, like picking up Kyle Kuzma, for example, and, and Josh Hart. And some of the other, you know, kind of interesting moves along the edges, like Brooke Lopez, when we did get him originally. And again, by we, I mean the Lakers. Forgive me once again. Um, the Lakers, <laughs> All good. You're talking to two New England girls here. Yeah, we get it. Yeah, it's it's tough sometimes to shake it. Um, but for the for the Lakers to have gotten, you know, some some value back, you know, in, in those ways, I think you'd like to hope that the Lakers were making those moves with Rob's advice, and then the ones that were kind of boneheaded. Um, you know, I, I based on his tweets alone, you'd have to assume were from Magic. Um, you know, I could imagine. Uh, a meeting where like Rob Palenka is saying to Magic Johnson, like, you know, what would really be good for this team is like a stretch five, you know, maybe you can space the floor a little bit. Um, and, you know, I could imagine Magic Johnson, Magic Johnson saying, well, we just saw Mike Muscala a few days ago. He, he could hit threes. Let's bring him in. Let's trade Zubak. And, you know, it's just one of those things where Rob offers some advice potentially and, and Magic just counters with something that's really, really counterintuitive because, you know, Zubak is a much better said that Muscala, who did nothing with the Lakers and is not even that good of a shooter, but yes, can shoot threes better than Zubak did. The other free agent that everyone is talking about, Kawhi Leonard, there's a lot of rumors that actually made me laugh that we wanted to talk about on this show, is the rumors about where Kawhi is headed is coming straight from his crazy family. His sister on his Instagram post, his crazy uncle in the background being like, well, he's not staying here in Toronto, his cousin... I mean, all family members aside, what is Kawhi Leonard doing? 
And certainly here in Los Angeles, not referencing anyone we, because none of us are Lakers or Clippers fans, but fans did just put a massive billboard right south of the Staples Center saying the king of SoCal, come to the Lakers, come to the Clippers. I mean, what is going on with this? And as Tanya had referenced before, the Lakers only have about 20 to $30 million in cash space. Is that possible for the Lakers to add Kawhi Leonard to their Anthony Davis, LeBron James trio? I think, you know, there's, there's a lot in play here. Um, and there's like several factors to it. And I think, you know, one of the most interesting uh, examples that we can really point to um, is just what he's actually looking for. Because I think if he's looking for a contender, then obviously the Raptors team that he just signed, that he just signed, that ended up playing for last season via trade would probably be the most likely destination for where he would sign with again. Because if he's trying to win a championship, they've already given him the position to do that. Um, you know, there's also the fact that if he's looking for a place where there's, you know, minimal media and minimal attention, he doesn't have to deal with a lot of, like, the press. I think Toronto's another great option for that because they totally hid him. They didn't give him big exposure, um, you know, big uh, press tour, big, big welcome uh, parade that he would be getting if he went to the Lakers or even maybe to the Clippers. I don't know if billboard is something that he's necessarily looking for. Um, if he's looking to be closer to home and closer to his family, then that's as simple as that. And he only has really two options. And it's the Lakers and the Clippers. Uh, the Lakers could free up the cap space if they traded, you know, Maurice Wagner, uh, Isaac Bonga, Jamario Jones, and uh, probably attach, I don't know what to do it, but maybe there's a team out there that views Wagner as a potential, um, you know, piece. He's a big who can shoot, you know, uh, someone who played fairly well at, at Michigan. And um, Isaac Bonga has a lot of potential too, really young player, um, you know, kind of a point forward who's a more natural point guard, but still a really long build and everything. Um, so I think that there's definitely a, a, an avenue for the Lakers to get that done. And, you know, there's, there's, when it comes to cap, there's always ways you can kind of move around with it uh, and kind of play with your roster until you have, um, you know, the, the necessary space to make a deal. If, Ka if Kawhi Leonard's actually interested in coming, I think the deadline kind of is coming a little sooner than they would like, though, to make such deals happen. Now, when it comes to the Clippers, I think that, you know, Steve Ballmer is one of the most aggressive spenders in the NBA. And is definitely going to be willing to, you know, create a contender that could, you know, vie for the championship immediately. I also think that, you know, there is a big part of, you know, going home that that Kawhi really does value. I mean, if you look back to, like, his origin story, you know, playing at San Diego State, originally looked at going to UCLA, um, you know, a lot of it comes back to just, like, the brutal death of his father, uh, who just got shot and killed in a, in a car wash in broad daylight, and you know, his uncle um, really took him under his wing at that point and, you know, kind of raised him as his own. It was, you know, before he was a major basketball prospect. And, you know, Uncle Dennis has kind of been there the whole time, you know, before he was really an all-star, before his shot had developed in San Antonio, before he was a two-time NBA champion, two-time finals MVP. Like, Uncle Dennis, you know, despite um, how much sway he might have on be positive or negative, I think overwhelmingly does have a huge influence in his life because he is always kind of been in his corner and you know when it comes to people you can trust you know that's a that's the most valuable asset you can have and i know that Kawhi really does value that and i imagine dennis wants him closer to him in socal and i imagine that Kawhi wants to be closer to his family too and for some players you know i i've interviewed a ton of rookie prospects and one thing i typically like to ask off the record is you know looking at their hometown team and being like you know what would it be like to play for the bulls or whatever it might be right and a lot of the prospects tell me, like, ah, I don't know if that's really for me. Like, you know, going home, you have to 
bring 40 family members to each game, right? You have to kind of get comp tickets for all your high school friends. People appear out of the woodwork. Whereas if you're going across the country, it's not as big of an issue. Um, but I think when it comes to Kawhi, it might not be like that as much. I think he might have a much smaller circle and he might kind of appreciate that sense of familiarity. You did explain all of the potential situations that could happen here and what might attract him to LA and vice versa. But it the the sense right now is that he actually is strongly considering staying in Toronto. Um, is that is that legitimate or is that just kind of the classic NBA smokescreen where what they're doing is already decided and we'll find out at a later date? No, I think that's totally legitimate. I think there's a lot of reasons to believe that he would stay there. Um, I think you know Masai Ujiri is probably the best executive in basketball. Um, and I think that, you know, Pascal Siakam is an emerging star. And I think that he really, you know, like we said earlier, he lost a lot of trust in the San Antonio Spurs and their medical staff and the way that they kind of handled his injury. He lost a lot of trust in, um, you know, Tony Parker and the veterans over in San Antonio for really calling him out and trying to get him to force himself back. You know, when it comes to that conversation we had earlier about KD, right, you know, where it comes to players controlling their own death in a lot of ways and their own decisions um the Spurs were really trying to force Kawhi back and he was not comfortable with that and you know you saw that he ended up being right in that because he came back better than ever after he took his time off and you know the other thing that really plays in Toronto's favor is the load management they gave him you know so much rest during the regular season and I think that is so extraordinarily valuable as well um, because, you know, it really proved that he was able to kind of be at his best during the finals. Now, each case is different. You can't really do it with every player. Some players need that positive momentum, you know, heading into the season and then during the season, and they need to be playing into shape in some ways. You know, if Draymond Green played his, himself into shape and lost away during the season, you couldn't really give someone like Draymond time off during the regular season. But Kawhi is a trusted worker who has proven to, that he's able to do that on his own and doesn't really need that extra help. And I think the fact that they trusted him to give him that is also something that he's going to hold near and dear to his heart as well after San Antonio tried to push him back. And I think that, you know, that's something that really um, is probably going to be a huge factor for him, too. It's like he's going to say to the Clippers, like, try to get that same time off that I did last year to kind of help with my recovery. I mean, you know, people really underestimate, you know, if you look at it from a football analogy, he's one of the best offensive and defensive players on the floor at all times, maybe the best at all times, no matter whose team he's playing against, and that and who's on his team as well, who his teammate would be. And that takes a ton of energy. That's a different kind of a player than someone, you know, like Lou Williams, who's mostly just playing offense, or someone even like Kyrie, who's mostly just playing offense. I mean, even LeBron has kind of stopped playing defense in recent years. Hell, I mean, the, Steph Curry doesn't play any defense. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that, you know, for some players, it might just because of their frame, where it's like Steph couldn't defend somebody even if he wanted to, not because he doesn't want to, but because he's he's fairly slight. I think, you know, when it comes to Kawhi, he wants to be the best defender and the best offensive player, and there's a lot of guys that, you know, want to do that that don't have the talent, but he has that talent and that drive, and I think when you, you know, put all those together, it can be absolutely exhausting. And I think that's another thing that he probably wants to factor in, too. So, you know, Kawhi is obviously one of the hardest players to read. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it, you know, in a lot of ways, everyone's guess is as good as anyone else's. Um, but I think that, you know, Toronto is a legitimate case, too, because of, uh, you know, the, the things that they've given him off the court, um, you know, when it comes to that resting time and when it comes to not having to deal with the media and when it comes to just being universally embraced in Toronto as well. So I think that that is totally legit. Circling back to the properties in and around Atlantic Avenue and Brooklyn and the Barclays Center, uh, Kyrie Irving 
seems to be from most perspectives that he will end up being a Brooklyn net. Now that team just cleared up about $60 million, $68 million in cap space. I was reading up and they said that, you know, they have the option right now to sign basically two max contracts. Now, my first part of my question is, where is D'Angelo Russell ending up? Is he staying in Brooklyn? He's a young kid. He's 23. It's a lot of promise there. The Nets are very hesitant to let him go. But then again, are they going to give Kyrie that max deal while still having D'Angelo Russell on the floor? Because the two of them together, it's a defensive disaster. Yeah, I can't imagine a scenario if you simulate it 100 times out of 100 a single one where that's a good idea. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty bold. That yeah, is like, very bold. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, all right. So all you Brooklyn Nets fans out there, Kyrie and D'Angelo Russell will not be playing on the same floor. That would just be stupid. It was like the delivery was so ice cold, Brian. Like you just came in way hotter than I thought you were. Like you've been giving all these eloquent, long-winded explanations for everything and you just came in and you were like fuck no <laughs> so i try not to be a hot take guy i really don't but like if there's something that i really believe like that like that is a horrible idea for locker room reasons for for on-court reasons even offensive reasons they don't complement each other at all like that would just be stupid and i don't understand it and i don't think there's any any truth to the idea of brooklyn wanting them both i do think there is truth to them wanting maybe d'angelo russell instead of kyrie irving because he's cheaper and younger but that would be under the scenario where they can't get Kyrie and KD and they just want, you know, D'Lo and they think that D'Lo is just going to be, you know, a continuation of what they had in the past. My impression, having been to the Brooklyn Nets games, you know, every one of them this season, having lived here for a couple of years now, having followed this team and having lived in L.A. and even covering D'Lo when he was on the Lakers a few years ago uh, when I lived in L.A. and kind of, you know, growing, uh, you know, growing my you know familiarity with D'Lo around that situation there, too. Um, is, is that the Nets didn't really view him as a long-term asset. Um, I think that they really, really liked his development. They liked the way he treated his teammates in Brooklyn. They thought he grew up and matured a lot. And just from my experience, talking to him year over year over year, I think he's grown up a lot too. I think that he's in a much better mental place now than he's ever has been. He gained that confidence back that I think he lost a little bit. I mean, being the number two pick and then being shipped out from the Lakers for cap space to get off of Timothy Mozgov money is humiliating. Um, and then to rebound from that and become an all-star is really dope. Um, so I'm really uh, impressed with D'Lo, and I think that he's going to be a solid NBA player for a lot of years. Um, solid, above average, borderline all-star. Um, but I don't think he's someone you want to build your franchise around. Uh, so if the question is where do I think he's going to go, I think the best fit would be Minnesota with Carl Anthony Towns. I think that would be really, really cool for him, too. Carl Anthony Towns is one of his best friends. They came into the draft together. Um, you know, they've kind of grown uh, to have a fairly similar trajectory in terms of, you know, overall potential and overall just uh, general vibe and kind of interest on and off the court. You know, I think that they would uh, have a really good time together. And I think that, you know, D'Lo would be a much better teammate for Cat than, you know, Jimmy Butler, who would just be barking orders at him. I think D'Lo is much more chill, much more his speed. And I think that would be a great way to compliment him. The financial implications are going to be really tough with Wiggins still on the books. So if they could find a way to kind of get Wiggins off that money, they'd probably have to lose um, a bunch of assets in that process to get rid of that contract. But uh, I think Minnesota with, you know, Gerson Rosas is uh, a much smarter front office than, you know, they have been in years past with Thibodeau running the show uh, because it's so hard to be the coach and, you know, an executive. We've learned that with Doc Rivers, who had one of the best coaching seasons in recent memory with the Clippers recent, uh, the, you know, as recently as last year, you know, once he was relieved of his duties as president of basketball operations. 
Um, so I think that uh, with Minnesota, they would have a really poorly run front office with Thibodeau running the ship. And now I think they've got uh, a much better trajectory. And I think if they could try to bring D'Lo in somehow, some way, that's really what's going to be best for, for all parties. Is D'Angelo Russell worth a max contract? I think that with, with D'Angelo Russell, um, his contract is, is a little bit more valuable than other max deals because he's coming off of his you know, rookie contract. So that rookie max, you know, the after the rookie extension, uh, his first four years in the league, is a lot better um, than someone like, you know, KD or Kyrie for cap reasons, because, you know, it's closer to that 2025 million than it is to that 3035 or in a super max case, even 40 million towards the end of that deal. I mean, in a lot of ways, I'd rather have, you know, D'Lo right now than Chris Paul. Obviously, Chris Paul is a better point guard right now, but that money is ridiculous. And we saw kind of a similar thing with Memphis moving off of Mike Conley. So I think he's worth his rookie max. Yeah, I think he's at least pretty close to that. Somewhere in that range would be pretty fair for him. Um, I think that, you know, it's hard to get, um, you know, a score as good as him. Um, and I think there's still a lot of room to improve for him. When he was in the talk for most improved player, I also thought that was pretty ridiculous because Pascal Siakam improved his game in like 17,000 different ways and just, you know, was making so many strides and development uh, so, so much better on both sides of the ball. And I think he could be an all-defense type player at some point. And I think he could be an all-star. He should have been an all-star last year. Um, I think with, with Russell, I think a lot of what happened with him um, was really just that the shots he was making started going in more often. And I know that's kind of an over, oversimplification, but I want to see a player making smarter shots, uh, not just the stupid ones going in more often. And I think that his usage rate got a lot higher once Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie, the other ball handlers on Brooklyn, you know, they got hurt. And I think that when he got that opportunity to really step up, he shined. Um, but it's not that he was making smarter basketball plays or really, you know, changing the way he played to become a more efficient player. I still don't view him as a very efficient player. Um, I think he can be, you know, a really good scorer and like a, maybe even in some ways a, a much better version of like Lou Williams without the great locker room fit. Uh, you know, he that's kind of what he provides. And he's a pretty good playmaker too, but I mean, you know, at his size, he's, he's pretty tall and he's not he's not a fierce scorer near the basket. You know, he's not able to like really, you know, create, um, you know, dunks or or drives the same way that someone who's 6'5 might be expected to. Switching gears back to KD for our final question. For the for the idiots like me who don't fully understand how the contracts and everything work in the NBA, um, explain to me what happens with Kevin Durant for the next 12 months if he's not playing and he's a free agent and he's the best basketball player in the world, but he can't touch the court. How does this work for a team signing him? Well, unfortunately for that team, I mean, they just have to give money to someone who's not going to be getting on the court. It's kind of as simple as that. Wow. Um, it, it might not be very fair, but I mean, I can read you his, his what his cap figure is going to look like for next season. Um, and basically, the way it works for him is he's eligible for 164 million wow. over um, four years, which means it'd be 38 million next year, and each year it would go up five uh, percent for five percent raises. So he'd be 40 million in 2020, 41.9 in 2021, and 43.8 in 2022. Um, so. It's kind of a, just a sunken asset for next season, and you just sort of view that as, you know, maybe we can get a slightly better draft pick because of it because we're not going to be quite as good as we want to be. But when he comes back for three seasons, we get one of the best players in the world. Excuse me if this sounds like a stupid question, but why would any why would anyone sign him? Because he's Kevin Durant. He's one of the best basketball players well, I mean, in that, the league. I mean, that's an insulting answer. My, my question is, 
it like is there not a precedent for saying hey like why don't we just like I'm not going to sign you to pay you to I mean is, no. does he really have to be no. paid forty no. million dollars no. to sit around? Rich Kleiman, his agent, is going to be very, very headstrong on signing him to the max deal that he deserves. And I'm not I, saying he doesn't deserve the money. I'm just I'm wondering what the point is of asking someone to pay forty million dollars to sit on the bench. It's the it's the prospect of having a guy like Kevin Durant, who is a instant impact high. I mean, he walked into the the Warriors. I know. You're explaining to me why Kevin Durant is good. I'm asking if there's well, let's put it this way, Sonia. Let's put it this way. How much do you think LeBron is worth to a franchise? Because I would argue it worth, it might be worth more than $38 million. 100%. Um, yeah. So you're talking so about just even the idea, that, the idea of having well, Kevin Durant as a part of your franchise and the future of what that promises, the financial worth is there regardless of whether he's even touching the court. Yes. My theory, it's not even necessarily that. I think my theory is that while he might be getting paid 160 over 164 over 4, they might be like paying him 164 over 3. So forget the first year. Okay. Let's throw out the window. Let's divide that by three. It's still a shit ton of money. But for the Brooklyn Nets or the New York Knicks, who, okay, next year's free agency class is really bad comparatively, especially if AD signs for the Lakers, which means that you're not going to have another chance to get another superstar unless there's a really disgruntled star on the market via trade for another two years. Um, and realistically, a lot of them are going to want to resign with their teams. You know, Draymond Green, presumably, is getting older, and he's kind of the next best guy that's coming on the market besides AD. And the drop-off after AD and Draymond Green is huge. So you're basically paying 164 over three. Okay. And I think in that sense, LeBron is worth more than $40 million over the over you know, for each year. There's just a salary cap in place. I think KD would be as well, because... For a team like Brooklyn or the New York Knicks who don't have another way of getting a superstar, this is their chance to do it for 2020, 2021, and 2022. So you're really essentially creating a way to be good, you know, in two years, and you're basically paying a premium. Call it a tax for KD in a, in a sense, where you're paying a lot more than the salary cap value for him because you paid $38 million over the year, but kind of spread the 38 over three years, and it's basically closer to, like, $13 million extra. So it would be like paying $53 million each season instead which I still think is about fair considering how much better he makes your team. I love that. That's exactly the answer I needed to hear. You made this confused basketball girl. Honestly, it's just, it's a question I hear asked a lot. And I think that it's, you know, there You're are a lot of the financials. It. Yeah. The financials of it, you know, we come from the NFL world where people don't get paid unless they're on the field, you know, and it's just, it's really interesting how that works. And it was an eloquent explanation. I really, I understand it much better now. I think every team would be smart to do that. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I know you're, you're a hundred percent right. And that makes so much sense. I, you know, you started this podcast as my legit bro, but I feel like you ended it as America's legit bro. I think you are Fox and Fallon's savior. I can't tell you how many of my friends try to shoot the shit about basketball with me. But the details going into the history of the players and the backgrounds, the stories that you've told behind each explanation, you might be the best guest we've ever had. I, I, I think I am too. And I'm, I'm definitely blushing. So I really, uh, I really appreciate it. I'm really smart. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Brian Kowalski, check him out on USA Today. Hoops hype, writer, extraordinaire. He's got all the goods and all the scoop. And we appreciate you joining the show. And we will have you back again because we can't do basketball without you now. <laughs> Thanks so much Thank for your you. time. There's what? probably a lot of Celtics fans listening. So I just want to say that Grant Williams was probably the best pick in the draft. And you're oh. going to love him. Oh, dude, we forgot to talk. That's right. We'll have, to, we'll have you back on to talk Celtics at some point. Like, we'll do a full-on Celtics breakdown because... 
we know you really like the draft, and I, our listeners would love to hear that. So, you know, well, you stay tuned, guys. We'll, we'll bring them back for that one. Save it for another time. Thanks Bye. so much for your time. Bye, Brian. Yeah, my pleasure. All right, well, that was fantastic. I think we covered all of the topic lists that we had, our to-do list of NBA. I don't think there is any more explanation that we need. No more NBA. We're closing the door on this for this podcast. Tanya, welcome back to Los Angeles, both of us together. I know that we had a little time away. I was traveling. You were traveling. What is your, like, give me more go away of the week? Well, it's a pretty predictable one, but right up my alley. Uh, LeVar Ball has been causing a scene again. Oh, my God. And this time, Courtney... The reckoning has come. LeVar Ball made another weird kind of unnecessary sexist comment to a host on television. And this time he did it to the wrong person. Because unlike Christine Leahy, Molly Karam is married. A big enough deal. It, well, she and she's married too. But I mean, it, he, he essentially, for those of you who don't know, he went on first take. And uh, in her attempt to switch gears, Molly Karam, you know, said so. She said, let's switch gears. And he said, you can switch gears with me anytime. Now, Molly Karam is married. Yes. To Jalen Rose. Also an also a for- television talent. Also a former NBA player. <laughs> I think everybody agreed that it was just a little much. It's more, it's less that it was that big of a deal and more that we're so sick of LeVar Ball at this point that no one has any patience. So he really only had one more small mistake to make on television before people had lost their stuff. And now they have. Uh, ESPN has at least temporarily banned him from programming in the near future. He's he's out. He's out. Good. Of, yeah, exactly. Because to be honest, it, it's kind of a long time coming. People stopped wanting to hear from him a long time ago. So they're really just doing everybody a favor. But, you know, as it to be expected, there's people weighing in. Uh, Charles Barkley has an opinion on just about everything, as he should. He's hilarious. Um, and he, I think TMZ caught him. And I don't know, Courtney, I think you have the quote right in front of you. Tell us exactly what he said, because it's great. Oh, absolutely. And I love this. And I will say this in my best accented Charles Barkley nastiness. So Barkley said, wherever LeVar Ball is, there is a village missing an idiot. We should just keep LeVar off television. That would be the best way to be. Then the follow-up was, can LeVar get a fresh start in the state of Louisiana with his son Lonzo playing for the Pelicans now? And Barkley said... He's an idiot in all 50 states. And I couldn't agree more with him. <laughs> He's an idiot in all 50 states. Honestly, should be the bio- the title of the biography somebody writes about LeVar Ball in the future. The LeVar Ball story, he's an idiot in all 50 states. Boom. Ship it. I will ghostwrite it. Let me do it. I'm ready. I am so sick of this guy, Courtney. I can't even tell you. I'm ready for him to be off my television forever. And I, I truly, truly mean this. I think he's actively harming his family and su- and other people shutting him down is doing a bunch of young men with bright futures a massive favor. Good riddance. The whole LeBron issue at the beginning of the season with them trying to trade for Anthony Davis and that's when the Lakers organization just completely combusted and exploded into a giant Chernobyl situation out here at the Staples Center. They just did him a complete disservice because whatever LeBron was paying LeBar to keep his mouth shut, all of a sudden, Mr. Big Baller Brand started appearing on our televisions once again. I mean, like, it was a very peaceful six, seven months without <laughs> LeBar really on television. And honestly, I think I think the reason that this happened is because he's a little he's a little media rusty. I like that theory. You know, yeah. I think he was a little media rusty sure. and he's trying to get some... He was like, 
kind of missing the spotlight. He knew it was good for his family. You know, that's why he sent his his son LaMelo off to Australia to try to create some hype. The, the 15 minutes of his fire has been burnt out. He's starting to start fires again. But since he hasn't been doing this in front of a camera for so long, that's why he fucked up. He blew it. He blew it. And I couldn't be happier. Courtney, you know, it's been a while. We are catching up. Tell me what's on your radar. What what do you need to get more of or go away? I really think I need to go away for all of the Courtney Fallons that appear in New York Post articles. Now explain this to me. All the Courtney Fallons. Okay, so about a year and a half ago, I was still living in New York City. I was working for MSG, uh, covering the Giants and Post Game Live. And all of a sudden, I get my phone starts blowing up. And my mother's phone starts blowing up. And they said, was your daughter arrested for defacing the bull on Wall Street? My mom is like, what? What? Your mom was like, wait, that's She's like, like, that doesn't sound like something Courtney would do. Right. Now, there is a girl named Courtney Frances Fallon, who I actually hysterically had friended on Facebook in college. One drunk night, we were in the sorority house. Like, let's friend all the Courtney Fallons on Facebook. So I kind of knew of this woman. I knew she was weird. But there was a woman named Courtney Frances Fallon who took paint and defaced the bull on Wall Street, was arrested. It was all over the news. Okay, I dodged that one. Ha ha, that's not me. <laughs> I am home in Boston, and I get a random text, not to mention that it probably was one of the worst days. It was just one of those funky days that I was like, what else could go wrong? I get a text message out of the blue from a random 631 number that I didn't have saved. Hey, were you quoted in the New York Post this morning about margarita blisters? What? I stop for a second. For people that know me, our family owned a Tex-Mex restaurant. So Margaritas and Courtney Fallon is very closely tied this together. This is a very good point. I didn't think of this. Okay. Yeah. So, and I said, what are you talking about? And who the hell is this? I opened the Googled New York Post, Courtney Fallon, and there is an article about bartenders making margaritas and getting lime juice on Cinco de Mayo, getting lime juice on their hands. They're not, they're not cleansing it off their hands, washing it properly, and then going into the sun and getting massive blisters. And first of all, what made me throw up was the first part of the picture in the article was just this disgusting hand blister <laughs> that looked like it was a, 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 it looked like it was a task for the pimple popper. It was that Ooh, disgusting. Yikes. Um, and there it was in the second paragraph of this article that I had actually seen in the ads um, as one of the top the top seated articles you know that right, you yeah. search for in the post at that day was a woman named Courtney Fallon who worked for the health department and I was just so irritated I was like no this is not me and I almost punched a wall I was like how many times does this have to happen I mean I get it Courtney Fallon very nice Irish name. And I'm sure that all their Courtney Fallons are not happy every time that I, you know, get mentioned on Twitter or someone has to tweet at me and they, you know what I mean? Yeah, Whatever. sure. They must be experiencing the same thing. They must be experiencing the same thing. But I mean, please go away to all the Courtney Fallons that wouldn't be quoted in the media because I'm just tired of defending myself. So let's let it be known on record that you do not deface public property in the city of New York, nor are you an expert on hand blisters. You are the eponymous Courtney Fallon <laughs> sports entrepreneur, reporter, uh, writer. She is all of those things, but she is neither the other aforementioned Courtney Fallon's. Please stop it. Film director as well. To be no. coming soon. Let's, chef? Yeah. Dude, let's, let's keep going. Chef's here, I mean, God, I didn't know this was like a self-pumping up podcast. I mean, I'm here for it because we haven't seen each other in a while. It's our reunion. So I I'm know. Just, I'm feeling a little lovey-dovey today. That's all right. Um, thank you so much for your time. It's so great. I mean, thank you so much to Brian Kalbrowski for, again, coming on our show and just 
dropping more knowledge than I could have ever imagined. Um, he was fantastic. He also covers the Nets personally. Um, so his connection, if for all those Brooklyn Nets fans out there, if you want to hear any insider information on Kyrie Irving, the rumors about KD, whatever is going on, he is your guy out in New York. But that's all the time we got today on the podcast. Episode 16, Fox and Fallon, we are signing out. We will see you next time. It was lovely to finally speak with you people again. We will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. All right, ready? Are you talking or are you not talking? Um, 100% talking. Welcome to our show. Um, Thank you. I heard that you're Jewish. <laughs> she goes, Is that how you start all shows? Yeah. yeah. Well, so she goes, she's like, I don't know how to say his last name. I'm like, it's Kalbrowski. I was like, he's a Polish Jew. Like, you should be ashamed of yourself because she's Jewish. I'm like, you should be able to fucking pronounce this. I'm not Polish. You're not Polish? What is it? It's Eastern European. Uh, yeah. Oh. I, I lived in the, uh, well, not I, but my my family is from the, the Jewish ghetto in Russia. Oh, amazing. Me too. Aren't yeah. you all? Yes. Not, not <laughs> yes. Fuck yes. All right. So we connect right there. We'll talk about that on the pod. Um, couple of questions I wanted to ask you before we kind of get into this, like, we're basically, we have so many questions that we want to just jump in because there's so many conflicting thoughts. And it's like, there's a question of if Kyrie actually signs with the Nets, he has to bring Kevin Durant with him or else they're not going to give him a max deal. It's not a loan. Is D'Angelo Russell, my question, are there talks that he might be garnering a max contract? His max is a lot cheaper than some other younger or some okay. other older players. Yeah, like one, it's like one, 107 I was looking right. at. Right, so his, his max is a little bit less of a hit. Um, so if a max for him does is less cap space than it would be for okay. like, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it, but you only need one team. So I don't know if I would say several teams, but maybe one or two. Okay. You have, you have some D'Angelo Russell stuff, right, Ryan? Yeah, there's, there's a couple of things. Okay. I mean, like he, he needed to leave LA for like several reasons. Wow. So it wasn't just, it wasn't just a cap dump. Okay. LA was like not a good place for him to live. He was having a lot of trouble out there. I mean, they might be thinking about it, but he's not very high on their priority list. And I think that they're going to be going for, for you know, you know, one of the bigger names, like a Kawhi or a, a Kyrie or whoever it might be. And then the second plan is like, you know, smaller guys, like it would be, you know, Patrick Beverly, Trevor Ariza, Wait, um, can I, Danny Green. Are you talking about the Nets or the Lakers? The Lakers. The Lakers. How, Lakers. how the fuck are they going to afford Kawhi, LeBron, and AD? With thirty well, they would million have to trade in the rest of their entire roster, they could they could do that though. They could. But when it comes, but when it comes to their second plan, I don't think their other option is a smaller top level guy. I think their other option is filling out the roster with like role players like Pat Bev and Trevor Ariza and Danny Green. All right, cool. Well, right. I want to we'll do some of that stuff, and then I do want to talk about the Celtics draft and like how much people are already lo- loving what is his name, Grant Williams. Yeah, and then the other picks they had um, were Romeo Langford and Carson Edwards. Romeo Langford was a projected top five pick coming out of high school, wow. the Donald American kind of guy, and then slipped a little bit just because he had a relatively underwhelming freshman season, but really, really talented player. And then Carson Edwards, I don't know if you remember during the March Madness tournament, but he was putting up numbers that were literally better than Steph Curry's, like when he was in the tournament, mm-hmm. like he was just shooting the shit out of the ball. 